The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. You can grab your Bible and start heading to Isaiah 51.9. And as you do, let's give another big round of applause to Nova and the Vincent boys for their acting abilities. That was incredible. Well done. Um, This morning, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've come to the part in the service where typically what we do is we read the Word of God, and then a preacher gets up here, a pastor gets up here, and we unpack it, and we say, this is what we think it means for us today, this is how we'd apply it. And if we were to follow that typical pattern this morning, then we would jump in at Isaiah 51.9, and I would read, Awake, awake, put on strength. O arm of the Lord, awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you, O Lord, who cut Rahab in pieces and who pierced the dragon? And any of you who were honest out there and were listeners and hadn't fallen asleep already, you'd be going, what is going on? I feel that you would be feeling this because that's what happened to me a few weeks ago when I started wrestling with this passage. What is he talking about? But as I wrestled with this text over the last few weeks, I have become convinced not only does our text this morning contain one of the clearest, most powerful summaries of the gospel in all of Scripture, but that every line of this text hums with gospel power. So this morning, I want to change it up a bit. I want to act like a tour guide first. And tell you, you know, the kind of tour guide who says, hey, on this tour, here are some of the things that you're going to see. Look out for them. And then I want us to pause in the middle and hear this passage from start to finish. And finally reflect together on what it might mean for us today. Now, if we jump in as your tour guide, the first thing I want to point out to you is that we need to pay attention in this text to the competing stories As we enter this text in a few minutes, we need to pay attention to the competing stories, beginning with answering that question, what is going on with this dragon business? Why is God fighting a dragon here in Isaiah? And to get this, we need to understand some of the stories that God's people would have been hearing in the world around them. We remember that at this point in Isaiah, because of their sin, God's people have been taken out of the promised land in captivity, months away, to live in the land of their oppressors in Babylon. And the Babylonians worshipped a god and told stories about a god named Marduk. They thought that Marduk was the king of the world, the creator of everything, the big kahuna. But these same Babylonians also worshipped all kinds of gods everywhere, under every rock and tree, which raises the question, why worship this one? And they had a story to answer that question. And it's a story that our passage is competing with. And so we need to understand it. The story went like this. In the very beginning, there were a couple really big gods. And one of them was the goddess of the sea. Her name was Tiamat. You can take that home and write it down. And Tiamat was big and scary and unpredictable and chaotic and terrifying. Good news, Tiamat created some other newer gods that are a lot easier to get along with. But then, plot twist, Tiamat, the old god who's chaotic and represents the sea and is unpredictable, gets ticked at the new gods, and she's going to kill them all. And so the new gods are pulling out their hair. But don't worry. Don't worry. One of those gods, Marduk, decides he's going to go to war on behalf of these new gods. And he goes and he battles Tiamat, who represents the sea. 
And he not only battles the sea, Tiamat, but he battles the monsters and, yes, dragons that Tiamat has on her side. And Marduk defeats the sea and defeats the dragons, and then, trigger warning, this is gross, after beating Tiamat, killing her, he tears her body into pieces and uses that body to make the heavens above and the earth beneath, and then he murders one of her henchmen and uses that god's blood to create humanity. And that is the Babylonian story to answer, why do we believe that Marduk is the king of the gods? Because he's the one who defeated the chaos. Why do we worship him? Because he's the one who defeated the sea and its dragons. Why do we worship him in Babylon? Because after he did all this stuff, all the gods got together and said, you're the king, build a city, and he built Babylon. That's the story. That's the competing story. And the people of God have heard this story. And here, they, having heard that story, declare, No, was it not you, O Lord, who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? Now, this is a competition of stories, but it's a clever one. In these words, the people of God are doing two things. One, they're saying, whatever you claim about your God, no, wrong, eh, our God is the creator. Our God is the victor. Our God is the one who puts down chaos and the forces of evil and violence. Not yours, ours. That's the first thing they're doing with this competition of stories. But second, the people of God know that their God didn't actually create the world by defeating dragons. And so they're using the language of Babylon's story to tell a second truth, that their God is not only the God who created the heavens and the earth by his powerful word, their God is the God who went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh when his people were in slavery in Egypt and brought them out of slavery. You see, that reference to Rahab there in the Bible is often a reference to Egypt, And the drying up of the sea is the drying up of the Red Sea when God brought his people out of Egypt and into the freedom of the people of God. So at one stroke, the people of God are competing with these false stories. They're saying, you think your God is the creator and the subduer of chaos. No, that's ours. And he didn't create the world and subdue the chaos by tearing apart monsters and all that blood. No, he did it by the word of his power. But let me tell you who he did defeat. Pharaoh, Egypt, everything that stood in the way of bringing his people out of slavery. That's the story, and it's the first thing we need to watch out for is this competition of stories that's going on in our text. But second, as your tour guide, I want you to listen when we get to the passage for the lament of those whose faith is limping. Listen to the lament of those whose faith is limping. See, the people of God are saying, wasn't it you in the context of a complaint. Was it not you, oh God? Wake up! Now, anytime you tell your God to wake up, you're in the realm of complaint, right? So the people of God are saying, wake up! Weren't you the one who did all these great things? Aren't you bigger than Marduk? Aren't you stronger? Aren't you the big kahuna? You see, for chapter after chapter after chapter, as Richard and Michael have preached in the previous weeks, God has been saying, Good news, I'm doing a great thing. I'm bringing you out. I'm saving the day. And now God's people respond by saying, uh, prove it. If you're saving the day, why are we still here? 
If you're beating the bad guys, why are we surrounded by them? And so this is the lament of those whose faith is limping. And they are declaring, God, we want to believe that you're better than Marduk. We want to believe that you're the creator. We want to believe that you're the rescuer. But we're living here in Babylon, and it's getting harder to believe that story by the day. So as we drive into this text on this tour, look for the competing stories, but also listen to the lament of those whose faith is limping. Third, watch the Lord offer his resume in response. You guys know resume is that thing you write up to give to somebody if you want a job. When I worked at Advanced Memphis, an organization here in South Memphis that helps people find jobs, we talked about how your resume should be filled with bullet points that had action verbs that told the person trying to decide if they wanted to hire you who you were and what you did. And this passage before us is filled with resume words for God. Just listen to how he responds. Listen to the bullet points on God's resume. 51.12, he's the God who comforts. I, I am he who comforts you. 51.13, he's the maker and the creator. Behold, I am the maker, the one who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. In verse 15, I am the one who stirs up the sea that you're so afraid of and makes it waves roar. God says, you're asking me where I am? You're lamenting to me with your limping faith? Let me slide my resume across the table to you, people of God. I am the only creator, and I am the only comforter. But not only that, I am the one who liberates. I am the liberator. In response to their fear in 51.3b, God says, you're afraid of the oppressor? Where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. Why? Because God's going to liberate them. And we find out later in our text, look for it in just a few minutes, that that liberation isn't just rescuing God's people, it's bringing judgment on those who had caused their suffering. God says, look at the bullets. Restorer, comforter, liberator, redeemer. I am the one who buys you out of slavery. In Babylon, for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You shall be redeemed without money. Liberator, creator, comforter, restorer. He will not just buy his people out of their slavery. He will bring them back to the promised land to dwell with them as his people. And our text ends. They will return from Babylon to the promised land and the Lord will bring them back to himself, back to the promised land to dwell with him. He will go before them, and the God of Israel will be their rear guard. But God's not done yet. See, the people have already been in the promised land before with God, and we saw how that ended with them sinning so much that the land vomited them out into exile. So for God to really deliver the goods, he can't just be the creator, the comforter, the liberator, the redeemer, and the restorer. He also has to have purifier on his resume. And so he claims that too. No more, O Jerusalem, holy city. There shall be no more who come into you in the uncircumcised and the unclean. And what God is saying is, I'll put you back in place and then I will defend you from the sin and the idolatry and the injustice and the purity that drove you out of there in the first place. Because I'm the God who purifies. I'm the purifier. That's a lot of bullet points. 
somebody gave me that resume, I might say, wow, this is confusing. You're trying to do a whole lot here. How does this all hold together? I'm having a hard time remembering them, and I'm the preacher. Good news, on God's resume, there's one bullet point that summarizes all the rest. There's a summary sentence for this resume of God's, and it's right here in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, and here's the headline of God's resume, your God reigns. That, brothers and sisters, is the good news. That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. And we talk a lot about the gospel in the church as a solution to all of our problems. And here God offers the gospel as a solution to all of theirs. But note very carefully, the gospel that sums up who God is and what he does, the gospel that is the solution for all their doubts and fears, is not first and foremost about what God does in your heart or mind, your soul or mind, not how God makes you feel. The gospel at its biggest and fullest, at its highest, at its most ultimate, is nothing less than an announcement about who rules the universe. And it is the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who brought his people up out of Egypt with an outstretched arm, the God who planted his people in the land, the God who sent them to Babylon for their sins, and the God who will bring them back out of slavery and restore them to himself. That's the king, and he's coming, and he reigns. And that, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. And God puts his resume on the table, and he slides it across the table, and he says, you can hang your hat on that one. That's the one. That's what you do with your doubts and fears. I am the king. So when we come to this text, we listen for the competing stories. What was the second thing we do? What is it? The lament. Thank you. We listen for the competing stories. We listen for the lament of those whose faith is limping. We pay attention to the action items on God's resume. But then fourth and finally... We hear God's commands to his limping people. While I was wrestling with this passage, I kept trying to figure out how does it all hold together, and I started looking at the verbs. We just covered a lot of them. I reign, I purify, I redeem, I comfort, but there's a whole bunch of other kind of verbs sprinkled all throughout, and you know what they are? They're God's commands to us, to his people. If you accept the resume of God, it comes with demands for his people. Listen to what he calls them to do. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, Jerusalem, 51.17. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck. O captive daughter of Zion. There's a huge irony here. The whole thing begins with God's people saying, Lord, wake up, put on strength, rescue us. Now God flips the tables and says, I'm awake, where are you? Wake up, you put on strength, you put on beauty, you get up, you dust yourself, and I have broken those shackles. It's time to walk out of bondage. It is as if the image of God paying the price to buy them out of their debt slavery and they're still hanging out in the house of bondage. Saying, walk in the light, come out of slavery. And finally, the headline, the big kahuna, 5211, 
God turns to them with a series of commands. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Now remember, God's people are living in Babylon in captivity. God has said he's going to bring them back. But now he tells them that they have work to do, and that work is to get out. To get ready to leave behind Babylon and its gods and its idolatry and its injustices and its oppression and to purify themselves from the filth of a community that would give itself to Marduk and his garbage rather than to the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. God says, I'm going to bring you out, but will there be people who are ready to go? And we know from later in the Old Testament that when God's people start to come back, many stay behind. And God says, depart, leave, touch no unclean thing. Don't bring the garbage with you. Why? Because you are a people who bear the vessels of the Lord. Translation, you are my priests. I'm bringing you back for a purpose to make you a people who show the world what I am like, and that will not happen if you bring the garbage from there with you. So are you ready to leave? It's time. Let's go. That, my friends, is what you can expect from our text this morning. As your tour guide, let me summarize the notes. Pay attention to the competing stories. Listen for the lament of those whose faith is limping. Watch the Lord offer his resume and response. And hear God's commands to his limping people. So let us turn to Isaiah 51, 9 through 52, 12. And hear the word of the Lord. Awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Wasn't it you who cut Rahab in pieces? Who pierced the dragon? Wasn't it you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep? who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over, and the ransom of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Remember that, God? I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, the son of man who's made like grass? Have for, you who have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens, laying the foundations of the earth, and saying to Zion, you are my people. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who've drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who've drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering, for there was none to guide her among all the sons she's born. There's none to take her by the hand among all the sons she's brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope and a net. They're full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. 
Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says the Lord your God, your God who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors. Those who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over, and you've made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now there what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Such says the Lord. What does it mean for us today? Just about everything. Because just like those saints back then, the church has always found herself living in Babylon. Always living in a world with competing stories, all of them in some way false. This week as I was reflecting on the false stories with some of you that have shaped our lives, I think I would summarize it this way. For many people in our society, the story of the world is that the world is at bottom a place of chaos and confusion and unpredictability and fear. And in that world of chaos and confusion and unpredictability and fear, you are alone. And so if you are going to find meaning and purpose if you are going to find life, you have to decide what that meaning and purpose in life will be, and then you have to get it, however you can. And so we find ourselves lost in a world of chaos and confusion, wars without and fears within, forcing ourselves to summon up the energy to make meaning for ourselves, to seize life for ourselves. And in the process, we embrace what the Catholic spiritual writer Thomas Merton called the false self. We see ourselves in terms of what we have, what we do, 
and what others think of us. Because improving what we have and what we do and what others think of us is how we claim meaning and purpose in this world of chaos and unpredictability and fear. And so we pick our poison. We pick our battles. And we go to work for ourselves. Maybe by trying to be a flawless mom or dad to our kids. Maybe by finding the right person who will complete us and make our lives incredible. Maybe by caring the most about justice and equity in society. Maybe by earning more and more money or at least more than the next guy. Maybe by succeeding in our career. Maybe by overcoming those false racial stereotypes that have haunted us. Maybe by looking beautiful enough to attract attention. Maybe by gaining enough education. Maybe by getting people to respect or fear us. And on and on it goes. Whatever we have to do in this world of chaos and confusion to claim meaning and purpose and fight to have more of it than those beneath us who we look down upon for not having done as well. And to try to get above of those above us who we hate for having succeeded better in this competition in the chaos. And when we get tired of that, if we're Christians, we turn to Jesus and we turn to the gospel. But so often the gospel we turn to is not the announcement that God reigns the big gospel, it's the little tiny gospel that God can make you feel better, that Jesus died just for you, just to make it a little bit easier to get out of bed in the morning, just to give you some positive, encouraging Caleb, just to help you make it through another day. And Jesus becomes just one more life coach, one more idol that we turn to to try to seize meaning for ourselves in the chaos. And is it any surprise that that Jesus, that gospel, doesn't work? Is it any surprise that we find our faith limping? Because all that garbage about trying to make more money and find out, I mean, that's garbage, right? But it, even that's better than a Jesus who came and died just to make you feel better about yourself. So we start limping in our faith. We start wondering if maybe some of the idols of Babylon aren't a better way to get through the chaos. And the Lord shows up in our text. And the Lord shows up this morning and shatters that all to pieces, burns that whole thing to the ground. Because brothers and sisters, you do not live in a chaotic, unpredictable world of fear in which you have to make your own way. You live in the good creation, beloved and supervised by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You live in the world that is ruled by the God who is comforter, creator, liberator, redeemer, returner, purifier, king. That's the world that we live in. And we know this. We've seen the evidence on the resume, not just because God brought his people back out of Babylon, which he did, by the way, but because when God sat high and looked low and he saw those people back from Babylon still screwing it up, he didn't abandon them, but he said, I, I will go myself. And he became one of us in the man of Jesus. And Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, showed us God's identity as the comforter and the creator and the liberator and the restorer and the redeemer and the purifier and the king. And he died on a cross because God elicits evil response, but the Father raised him up from the dead on the third day. And the good news of the gospel is that he reigns. He reigns. He reigns at the right hand of the Father, still the creator, still the king. 
That's the good news. And it's the same good news back then, and it comes with the same commands. Church, look at the resume. And then get up, wake up, put on strength, clothe yourself in beauty, purify yourself, and get ready to depart. Not the world. Don't get it backwards. But to leave behind the system and the structure and the habits and the accoutrements of a world arranged around the Mardukes of our world rather than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Walk, Paul says, in newness of life, in step with the Spirit. Wake up, get up, get out. Brothers and sisters, if you are here this morning and your faith is limping, as mine has limped many times, because I have often turned Jesus into my life coach, the prophet Isaiah gives us the freedom and the privilege of coming into the presence of God and raising the lament of limping faith. Where are you, O God? The prophet gives us that freedom. But prepare yourself, because the prophet also tells us that God's response to our lament of limping faith might be, I am woke, I've been woke, where are you? Quit hitting the snooze button. Get out. Get up, shake yourself off, depart, walk with me in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we tell this story that God reigns and rules and is calling us out of darkness and into the freedom of light. And then we sit there twiddling our thumbs, expending our energy on the same self-consuming projects as our neighbor's. We say God is returning, inviting us into a kingdom where our sin and impurity has no place. And we look at our life of sin and we are so complacent. We just tolerate it in our hearts and in our lives and our communities day after day. And we hear the king saying, I'm bringing you back to be with me, to be my people. I want to marry you in righteousness. I want to covenant with you. I want you to be my treasured possession and we forget to show up week after week in his word, in prayer, and in communion with the saints. Brothers and sisters, look at your life. Does it look like the God of heaven has shattered the story of the nation and drawn you completely into his kingdom project? If not, hear the word of the Lord. Wake up. Get up. Dust yourself off. Put on strength. Put on the beauty that is yours in Christ. Leave behind the world in its lust. Walk in the newness of life. Be the priestly people that God has made us to be. Brothers and sisters, if you don't know the God we're talking about, you're stuck in Babylon. Come to Jesus this morning. Leave it. Get out. And after this service, I will stand outside and I'm ready to talk to you if you're here and you want to talk about that. Brothers and sisters, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, and you're living like a Babylonian, hear the word of the Lord. God has done an incredible thing. Let us bring our limping faith to Jesus and let us run the race. Let's leave it behind. Let's enter the kingdom. Let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to discover the Lord adds all things necessary to it. Because our God is the only creator, comforter, purifier, liberator, redeemer, restorer. Our God is the king. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as the king of kings, 
who sent your son Jesus to rule and reign and restore. Wreck our lives, O God, and do the work to restore us to yourself. Our faith limps, Lord. We feel overwhelmed. Do what needs to be done in our hearts to bring us to your feet. And do it now, even as we continue in worship. We ask these things in your matchless name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we begin to respond to the word of the Lord by worshiping our King, by giving him tithes and offerings freely from what he has first given to us. Let's continue in worship. You can do that. You can give right now if you're on the screen using the directions there or by uh, putting your offerings on the way out in the basket to my right. Let's continue in worship.